Hello, lovely listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and for their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. is Historias Unknown. <laughs> yes. I, f- I feel like our name is established now, so it's fine. It doesn't have to be a question anymore. Well, you said this is Christina as a question. I said this is Historias Unknown as a statement. <laughs> you know, you're right. It's because I was going to say, and it's Christina, but then like last minute, I was like, no, Carmen said this is Carmen, so I'm going to say this is Christina. And then I wasn't sure about it. <laughs> Makes sense. So... We're talking about Coca-Cola today. Tell me, what comes to mind when you think of Coca-Cola? Well, if I'm thinking about it in a positive way, then I think of, like, tacos. But if I were thinking about it negatively, then I think about murder. (laughs) Hmm, okay. Yeah, so before I learned anything about Coca-Cola, I thought of the polar bear. I thought about family parties carne asadas, eating out, my parents, our parents, everybody that drinks Coca-Cola. Uh, everyone in Mexico that always eats uh, or ha- dinner has dinner or any meal with a litro de coca. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that, at least like from looking back or thinking about it, I don't remember any point in my life where Coca-Cola has had like negative press recall of anything like that no if i think two years ago i had no idea but ever since then i learned about the things they have some of the things they've done but yeah two years ago i i would have been like eh, coca-cola who was the one who had no that was pepsi that had a uh, kylie jenner and <laughs> that was pepsi but coca-cola did something similar in the I want to say it was like the 70s, but it didn't like have any backlash or anything back then. So they were trying to brand themselves like as a world, I don't know, like a worldly organization, like for like unity for the world and whatnot. And they even made a song for the commercial and the song became like a hit. Oh, yeah. Do you know the song? No, I didn't even look it up because I was like... Who cares? They suck. Yeah. Plus, you were already looking up a lot of stuff. Too much stuff, one might say. (laughs) One might say that I'm a horrible researcher, and I don't (laughs) even know how I did school uh, last minute, just like this. (laughs) But I don't recommend it. I don't, because it was stressful. It's stressful to do things last minute, but I just don't know how to change at this point. So... I guess before we get started on all the horrible uh, anti-union paramilitary stuff (laughs) that Coke may have allegedly have had involvement in, I did learn a little bit about Coca-Cola and like the history of Coca-Cola and like other bad stuff (laughs) that they've been involved with (laughs) that we won't get too much into, but I just thought it was interesting and should be mentioned. Okay. So... I was asking you earlier about what you think or what comes to mind when, you know, we talk about Coca-Cola because uh, Coke spent a lot of time, I guess, like cementing itself Mm -hmm. and marketing itself and branding itself as a 
um, like an American icon, basically, right? I think, I think even succeeded. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like worldwide, when people think about the United States, they think about Coca Cola. And I think here, when people think about, I don't know, the past, the 50s, the 80s, I think a lot of, I don't know, Coca Cola and their like old mm, marketing comes to mind, like the Coca Cola girls. Huh, I don't remember them. Yeah, well, it's like, okay, so from watching, um, <laughs> what is that show, The People, the Storage Wars? Yeah. Oh. Those yeah. two guys that go and buy they basically buy, like, antiques and memorabilia stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is Coca-Cola, like, related. Oh, and, okay. like, if you go to um, restaurants that are, like, American, usually they, I don't know what they call them, but they, like, sell, like, american food and they like they're kind of decorated as like diners right they'll have a lot of like coca-cola memorabilia Memorabilia. and stuff yes so um anyway basically coke succeeded and branding itself as a a part of american culture right at one point an executive from coca-cola uh called the company the essence of capitalism so (laughs) (laughs) okay like as a compliment right yeah, yeah, as a positive thing. Okay. <laughs> and so, do you do you remember anything about the origin story of Coca-Cola? Didn't it used to have... No, that's a yes. rumor. <laughs> oh, it did have cocaine <laughs> in it? Not a rumor. It's true. <laughs> oh my god, I thought it was like a myth this whole time. No, but okay. Coca-Cola tried to rewrite their origin story, and they tried to say that it was a myth that cocaine was ever in its product they succeeded and look at that yeah they really did because i always heard Holy it yeah fuck. like as a myth yeah oh my god but no that's how they started <laughs> so uh the creator of coca-cola his name was something like john pemberton or pepperton or something who cares <laughs> um so he was when he was like i don't know how old he was but during that time when he was like creating coca-cola there was a, a rise in popularity popularity of medical toxins, not toxins, to- tonics. <laughs> My oh, bad. Tonics, okay. Yeah. Medical tonics, uh, elixirs, and like medicine shows. So those things are problematic as fuck on their own, right? <laughs> One of my faves, <laughs> Bainan's face uh, podcast, actually has an episode on it. It's the episode where they talk about like the snake snake oil salesmen. Yeah, so they talk about medical tonics and elixirs. Um, and anyway, that's how Coke started as a medical tonic slash elixir. And this uh, John Pemberton guy was inspired by how popular these things were and how much money people were making off of them. So, I mean, that's kind of what got coca-cola started how it was created and um it did for a long time was like a a medical tonic with cocaine in it um it was advertised as a yeah medicine basically medicine for what um i don't i don't remember okay but uh literally anything and everything actually though like they tried to say it helped with everything cancer and then drink coca-cola um i don't know about cancer because But like body pain, yeah. So just like everything and anything, they tried to say was good for. And so the the book that I used for a lot of my research, it was called the Coke Machine. And the earlier chapters spent a lot of time talking about Coca Cola and how it came to be, which we just don't have time to get into. But they they did at one point they were sued for the cocaine in their um bottles or in their product i guess how long did they have cocaine in their bottles do you remember um i don't remember but it it was like not like modern times i guess it was like when it was first created um and well i wish i remembered how long it was for but they were sued over it they tried to say they didn't have any and that their name wasn't derived from cocaine plants or <laughs> Um, And there was also, like, a lot of lawsuits because drinks similar to Coca-Cola, you know, were copying its formula. Okay, 1894. Yes. 
So it was like a long time ago, <laughs> but it did have it. And Coca-Cola has tried to deny that cocaine was ever like a part of their drink. And they've tried to rewrite their um, origin story to say, to try to say that they were never associated with like scammy medical tonics or with cocaine. And they tried to say that the inventor, John Pepper, Pemper, Pemberton, <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I wrote it down wrong because you know, I was listening to an audiobook and it's so hard to even know, like, was it Pepperton or Pemberton? I don't know. <laughs> I could have looked it up, but I just chose not to. So they tried to say that he wanted to create a drink that was meant to be drunk, like cold, because back then there wasn't that much drinks that were cold drinks. Ew, they were just drinking hot drinks. Like everything was room temperature. Like not iced. Yeah, room temperature, <laughs> I guess. Um, and this is the story they say in their uh, museum in Atlanta. And yes, there's a Coca-Cola museum. I didn't know that. In Atlanta. And Atlanta is also where the company headquarters are located. Okay. Yeah. So um, for for a long time, Coca-Cola branded itself like as a lifestyle brand, not like a drink <laughs> brand. Okay. Wow. And they actually had like really good marketing and they like, uh, what is innovated? Yeah. I couldn't think of the word for a second. They innovated like marketing mm-hmm, and that all I've this stuff. About. Yeah. And so they talk about that in the book and I was like, get to the murders, please. <laughs> <laughs> so they were, uh, very successful at their marketing because as we, you know, talked about, what do we think about when we think about Coca-Cola? You know, you think about family, you think about good times, you think about Christmas because of their <laughs> Did, Christmas were they the ones that commercials. Had the Christ- yes, with like Santa yes. in it. Okay. Yeah. Why do I think of the giant popcorn tubs? Because you also think of the movies because, you know, it goes hand in hand. And so, you know, Coca-Cola is associated with good times. So, yeah, there's even, like I said earlier, Coca-Cola memorabilia collectors and conventions where they meet, which to me is weird, but whatever. It actually, when I heard that, reminded me of an episode of Scam Goddess, another one of my faves, our faves, <laughs> where they t- at some point, I don't know, I don't even remember what episode or what they were talking about, but they started talking about how weird it is that people collect antiques. Uh, because they're like, why are you trying to remember the good times? Because <laughs> there was slavery back then. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't good times. So it also reminded me of how people are like, oh, let's go back to simpler times, the 1950s. It's like, simple for who, bitch? Well, you so, know who was posting that kind of stuff. Exactly, yes. So the author of the Coke machine even quotes a memorabilia collector who says that they collect memorabilia because it makes them think of simpler times. Okay. <laughs> no one had rights except white men. Yeah. The good times. Yeah, good old times for everyone. The great times. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was just like, okay. <laughs> so, among other things that shady things that Coca-Cola has been involved with and done, they've branded themselves not only like as a lifestyle brand but as patriotic. Right? Uh, but in World War II, they lobbied to be exempt from sugar rations. People participated in sugar rations at that time because that was seen as helping the troops and whatnot. They tried to say that Coke raised the morale for the troops. And eventually the um, military was able to, because of all the lobbying that Coca-Cola did, and, and they would send like soda to the troops and whatnot. So eventually, the military was able to order shipments of Coca-Cola as part of, like, military equipment. What? And it was all free to the military because the taxpayers footed the bill for this. Uh, Eisenhower once ordered six millions worth of Coca-Cola to the battlefield. Wow. But at the same time... Coca-Cola also continued to conduct business with Nazi Germany. Oh, my God. Um, and they weren't the only company that did this. I've also heard of, um, I want to say Ford is one of them, but I, I don't remember exactly. But have you heard of that? No. Okay. I'm wow. pretty sure they were. Yeah. 
At another point, Coca-Cola had contracts with schools, public schools throughout the United States, where they would give money to the schools, about $1 uh, for each student. And in return, the schools couldn't sell other beverages besides Really? Coke. Oh. Yeah. And um, this one school in L.A., the te- one of the teachers started, like, asking it when a student brought up to her, like, I want to be able to drink other things besides Coke. And the teacher started looking up researching like the contracts were not and that's where she discovered that they're not allowed to sell anything else but coke so her and a group of students she helped the students it was a student-led organization she she helped them yeah she helped them um develop an organization where they eventually like brought this issue to the courts eventually yeah they sued coca-cola and there was even like through all the efforts and lobbying the students did other schools you know created student groups and whatnot and eventually um, a law passed where coca-cola couldn't do this kind of stuff anymore but the original suit basically was like a, a watered down version of it passed is what happened they were making like more demands and stuff i just don't remember what, <laughs> what they were because that could be a whole entirely other other episode maybe maybe a patreon episode on this (laughs) yeah let's see among other issues they have caused water shortages in mexico yeah that is on my topic list to go way deeper into because yeah that's a that's fucked up yeah so like when there's been water shortages they are they have been exempt and have like lobbied to be exempt from water uh rations i guess uh-huh rations <laughs> so water, like water restrictions yeah. the people of i want to say this was in chiapas it but is I don't chiapas. Remember exactly. okay it's chiapas um the people of chiapas had to i think their water use is restricted to like twice a week or something like that and the bottling company never had <laughs> any water restrictions and they use hella water what else? Oh, they also push for the privatization of water in Mexico. Yes. And have you heard about the former president's connection to this? No. Vaguely, not a lot. El Presidente Fox <laughs> used to work for Coke when he was younger. Holy shit. Right? They even had a nickname for him there, and I don't remember what it was. But when he became president, he helped the privatization of water. Um, oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Wow. Because I've, I've read about Chiapas and how they're literally running out of fucking water and Coca-Cola keeps their factory running and they're exempt from yeah. all the water stuff. That I knew about, but I didn't know about the president helping them. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and, and they um, can't get bottled water and Coca-Cola is the one. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's just, it's, yeah. It's not my topic. It's list. too much. And... The company tries to say, oh, but we, we help the people by employing them. But it's like they don't pay them enough to make this worthwhile for them. And what is it? what does it mean to be employed when you can't have water and your town is running A out of water? A basic fucking necessity. Exactly. Yeah. So um, one more thing. Um, and this is the least of their shadiness, but I was like, so there's this thing that I'm pretty sure you also think is true that because everyone thinks it's true that Mexican Coke in the glass bottle is made with pure sugar and it tastes better than this, uh, than Coke here in the United States. It's not. So um, it's not true that it's made with pure sugar. It's made with corn syrup, just like every other soda. What? And Coca-Cola has allowed this rumor to persist. <laughs> How dare they? Why do I buy the... Oh, my God. I go to no, a because, Mexican restaurant and I buy the glass one. Yeah, and it's just regular old soda. Like, Why does it taste better? Placebo. It, because, oh. yes, that's what I was going to say. So there's this whole culture in Mexico. And the book even talked about this one town. I don't remember where it's at now. Where... Coke has such a, or Coca-Cola has such a stronghold in the community that people, like, whenever they had to pay fines or something, they would pay in Coca-Cola. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. And it had such a stronghold in the community that babies as little as 
tiny babies. I don't remember how old they were being given soda in their or Coca Cola in their um, bottles. Oh my god! See, I know it's normal to give like walking babies that are not using bottles anymore soda over there. Yeah, but this was little babies, and in one particular like indigenous community, Coca Cola ramped up their marketing there so much so so that like and and, and they gave coca-cola bottles for free to kind of like so the indigenous people would have like a craving and taste for coca-cola ever since since or to start them young basically of course yeah it's aggressive as marketing shady as marketing and yeah this is how you hook them young yeah and they literally had like that was that was their goal and they like actually expressed that goal in their like they didn't even try to hide it. Like, it like their that? goal like, was to, yeah. Oh my god. And it was the same goal for why they they started making those deals with schools so that wow. people can start liking Coca-Cola at young ages. And I didn't even write this down in my notes, but I remember and it's just like another shady thing that we just have to say. Um <laughs> so around I don't remember the year, but Basically, people kind of started being more health minded um, and started drinking less uh, soda in general. In the United States? Yeah. And like very recently. And so this led to Coca-Cola because for the longest time, Coca-Cola didn't have any other products. It wasn't like Pepsi where Pepsi had um, acquired like chips, like Lay's and all this stuff, right? Uh, coca-cola only had coca-cola and they purposely like said like no we are never you doing any other products because we are coca-cola and that's what we're known for blah 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 but when this like kind of health-minded craze started people started drinking less soda and they're like okay what do we need to do so they uh bought dasani water which was from france i guess but anyway that doesn't matter so they started saying and marketing that their Dasani water was like, I don't know, from the creeks and the mountains and it was like natural and whatnot. But actually, in reality, they were using the water from their bottling companies, from their Coca-Cola oh like factories. Um, and they were sued over this, too. Then they bought another drink or had this other product that was um, marketed as like a like a health drink that was supposed to help you lose weight. But when people looked into it, it had um, almost as much sugar as Coca-Cola has. Was it vitamin water? It might have been. But it's like around that time, there was so many like similar products coming out that I don't remember which one specifically was for Coke. But they tried to like market this as like a weight loss product. And then they they were sued again because... Because it wasn't. It had a ton of sugar. Yeah. So in the 80s there was this movement called the shareholder value movement and basically encouraged companies to grow by any means necessary by cutting costs, acquiring other companies and laying off workers. Coca-Cola, like every other company at this time embodied this um, shareholder value like thing. So it's also around this time where the labor violations start the book also, it when it talks about the history of Coca-Cola, it talks about how early on Coca-Cola decided to separate itself from like its bottling companies and kind of do like a franchise style kind of thing with the with the bottling companies. And this meant that they were not like liable or responsible for what the bottlers did because the bottler companies, bottling companies are, are their own companies. And it's a little difficult to understand, but that's kind of like the very kindergarten version of it. Yeah. And also like Coca-Cola was spreading worldwide because, you know, it was no longer seeing the same profits here in the United States because people kind of became more health conscious here and realized they shouldn't be drinking 10 sodas a day, you know? <laughs> so it needed, it needed new, a new market. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of like it started spreading worldwide and started establishing itself in Latin America, you know, all the while using this franchise system, bottling companies. So in Guatemala, the Coca-Cola franchise was first owned by the United Fruit Company, which is its own problem. Yes, yeah. 
but later it was bought and owned by a Texas businessman named John Trotter. So Trotter would fly down weekly to meet with the local managers and talk to them about the evils of unions, but he had no issues with the inhumane conditions of his (laughs) plans. And, um, Wait, when wait, I got where, to that, where did he do this? Where was this taking place? This was in Guatemala. Guatemala. Okay, my bad. I oh, of course, because you said United Fruit Company. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, when he when I heard the part of the book where he talked about, or when the author talked about Trotter talking about the evils of unions and whatnot, it reminded me of when I worked at TJ Maxx, and during as part of my employee orientation, they showed us a video about how unions only want to get money from employees and they um the union you know how like in old i don't know like in recess remember the guy that sold uh, what did he sell i don't remember what he sold in the cartoon but he had like this long jacket yeah the long coat changed every episode like sometimes yeah like whatever stickers uh, so he was like hella shady right and they made in the video from tj maxx they made the unionness look like that like they had like long oh coats God. and they looked hella shady and they were like harassing workers to be a part of the union and they're wow. like unions only want your money <laughs> yeah so employees in trotter's plant worked 12 hour shifts for two dollars a day what yeah and these conditions led you know the workers to unionize because it's like enough is enough yeah that's shit pay oh my god yeah and in the spring of 1976, they presented a petition to unionize to Trotter, but Trotter refused to sign it, and he fired 150 workers. The workers fought this at court, and they wanted to have their jobs reinstated, but Trotter and the corporate executives responded by subdividing the bottling company into smaller branches. And so kind of like to split them up and like, you no longer have as much power because you're a smaller group now kind of thing and they also threatened the workers with violence so this led to the workers reaching out to the catholic church for help and a group of nuns that for some reason owned stock in coca-cola okay (laughs) well they owned stock in coca-cola to uh have money for the church i guess but it was weird i've never thought of nuns owning stock yeah no not something you think about yeah so They pled the Catholic Church to intervene, um, or to help them, I mean. And so the nuns that owned the stock in Coca-Cola wrote to Coca-Cola, like headquarters, you know, in Atlanta and everything, and informed them about the injustices, and they pled them to intervene. Folks said that their hands were tied because of the franchise system and agreement. They basically, they said they're not responsible for the bottling company's actions. But the nuns didn't give up. They submitted something called the shareholders resolution. I don't know. <laughs> some corporate thing. Some shareholder thing. I'm not a shareholder of anything, so I don't know. Uh, they demanded that Coke conduct an independent investigation into the matter. And Coke did, but <laughs> they found no issues from their investigation. And actually, the person that investigated... Uh, never even went to the plant and never spoke to Trotter. So it's like, how can you find that? I mean, of course he found no issues because he didn't really investigate. Yeah. During that time in Guatemala, a new president, General Romero Garcia, rose to power after a U.S.-led coup. And this president used the secret police to bust uh, what he called subversive elements, which included unions and anything leftist. Right. So Trotter took advantage of the political climate of the time and he threatened the union organizers um, with violence from the help of the secret police. So soon after, a union leader, Israel Marquez, was shot at, but he lived. Another unionist, Pedro Cabedo, wasn't so lucky. So while he was sitting at his truck during deliveries, he was ambushed by two men who shot him. Another union leader, Manuel Lopez Balan was also killed, and this led to most workers resigning. But Israel Marquez traveled to the annual Coke meeting in the United States to confront a Coca Cola chairman, Paul Austin. And so Israel Marquez detailed the murders of his colleagues 
to Paul Austin and he talked about the violence faced by Coca-Cola employees. And he talked about the violence being so bad that Coca-Cola had such a poor image in Guatemala. And it was kind of like akin to murder there, basically. Like everyone in Guatemala knew Coca-Cola was responsible and they blamed Coca-Cola for these killings. And so he kind of tried to like get him to see like if, if you if you don't care about the humanity of the people in Guatemala, think about the image that Coca-Cola has in Guatemala. But despite being aware of the murders, thanks to the nuns and then to Israel Marquez, Coca-Cola didn't terminate Trotter's contract. Oh my god. And instead, uh the investigation they conducted exonerated him so the workers asked a international labor union the iuf for help and the iuf led a boycott and work stoppages against the bottling company but still instead of terminating its contract with trotter coke um responded by saying that they wouldn't renew trotter's contract when it expired in 1981 instead of just firing him on the spot yeah instead of just terminating the contract on the spot so that's what they did. Nothing <laughs> in action, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> and while waiting for for the contract to end, four more union organizers were killed. Wow. Protests in Guatemala mm-hmm, ensued, and this led to uh, Coke shares dropping. And so finally, you know, from the shares dropping and the protests in Guatemala, Coke, you know, the pressure was finally too much for them. And so in 1980... They bought Trotter out generously, <laughs> and um, the new o- owners eventually approved the union contract. But eight workers were killed while Coke did nothing, and they knew about. And he the was violence. hiring these people to do this, and he got a ton of money. So, yeah, wow. So that was Guatemala. In Carepa, Colombia, the Coca-Cola bottling plant was owned by Bebidas and Alimentos. Or I guess that was the barley plant. And the majority shareholder of Bebidas and Alimentos was a man named Richard Kirby, also from the U.S. And so also to paint like a very, very, very brief picture of the political climate in Colombia at the time, there was an ongoing civil war. And this period of time is referred to or has been referred to as La Violencia. What year is this? Probably more likely the 90s, because okay. most of the, the, the murders they talk about is from the 90s. But this has been an ongoing situation in Colombia for a long time. So paramilitary groups started forming when um, wealthy people and businessmen began hiring them. Actually, no, this was the 80s, and it continued on to the 90s, so just forget everything okay. I said. <laughs> <laughs> so paramilitary groups began forming when... Um, Wealthy people and businessmen began hiring them to protect themselves against guerrilla warfare because at that time, like communist groups had kind of been um, pushed out, like to live in the forest and whatnot. And they used to um, kidnap like wealthy people and extort them for money. Yes, actually, the in El Salvador, they kidnapped uh, Jaime Hill, the son of James Hill, the coffee guy that I mainly talked about oh, in the first episode. Okay. And they did pay, yeah. Mm. The same kind of thing was happening here in Colombia. Paramilitary groups started forming when rich people bought them. And so they started off by killing guerrillas, but soon they started committing massacres of entire villages. Oh my God. Yes. Um, in villages they suspected of like supporting the guerrillas. Yeah, of course. In 1989, the paramilitaries went too far, not when they killed entire villages, but when they killed a judge and they were outlawed. Only then. Yeah. But that didn't mean that paramilitary groups stopped existing. They were just, you know, they went underground. Secretive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and there's a lot more, um, even in the book that they talk about as far as paramilitaries and their atrocities. And um, I didn't like write down the names of any of the paramilitaries involved here because it would just be too much but i remember like some of their names and like nicknames uh were el aleman that's the one i'm remembering just because i don't know i mean it stands out (laughs) cepillo was one of them so anyway these men were at one point one of them is thought to have been responsible 
for um, over 3,000 uh, murders and disappearances. What? Over, over a period of, One I want to say like 13 years. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. And so they just, they talk about like horrible things that these paramilitary groups did, even to children. And so, <gasps> like, I'm not going to talk about that, but yeah. it's just awful, awful stuff. And so that was the environment of the, um, area when Bebidas y Alimentos was becoming established in the area. So the plant was struggling and it sustained itself through like personal loans from this Richard Kirby guy, the majority shareholder owner. So they were going through like financial uh, troubles and whatnot. And the management of Bebidas responded to this hardship by forcing workers to work 16 hour days by firing senior workers to save money you know, on higher salaries. Oh, my God. And um, they would hire, like, new employees. And so in response, yeah. in 1993, um, a new union, Sinal Trainal, began organizing workers, and they pushed for higher wages and job security. Oh, sorry, no. And while Sinal, Sinal Trainal began fighting for workers' rights, because the previous union kind of just let, they, they weren't really helping the workers. So when the new union started fighting for workers' rights, the um, workers started seeing paramilitary graffiti appearing around town. Like warning them? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they started hearing rumors of unionists being attacked um, in neighboring towns. Then in 1994, Jose Manco, one of the union leaders, disappeared. Two weeks later, another union leader, Luis Enrique Giraldo, disappeared when he was dragged into the woods by a motorcyclist. and. He was never seen again. Over the next year, Hidalgo's brother received death threats and another union leader was killed, causing union leaders to flee. So the company continued to pressure workers to work longer days and tensions just became worse when a new manager, and I wrote Milan, like Milan in my notes, but then I looked up another article and his name is actually Milan. Milan. But because okay. the, yeah, because the author said Milan. The book I was listening to, I wasn't, yeah, sure how it was said and he would say Milan. <laughs> so the new manager Milan was seen socializing with paramilitary members, sharing cooks with them at the plant and drinking with them at bars. Workers, yeah, soon heard him boasting that he would get rid of the union, and he even told an employee that the only reason the union was still around was because he had not wanted it to be destroyed yet. Oh, my God. Um, so in 2005, Sinatrenal sent a letter to Coca-Cola informing them of Milan's association with paramilitaries and urged them to provide protections for workers, but they never received a response from Coca-Cola. They probably fucking shredded it or something. Yeah. <laughs> so tensions became even worse between management and um, employees in the union because the union negotiated for a new contract with the pay raise, increases in maternity leave, disability, life insurance, fund for sports activities, increasing security for workers, and clauses prohibiting managers consorting with paramilitaries, which should be a given. They shouldn't have to ask for this shit. Yeah. So in uh, 1996, a chief union negotiator, Isidro Gil, was shot down at the front gates of the plant on the same day the company was due to approve the new union contract. Oh, my God. Just right then and there. So Bebidas y Alimentos told employees, or af I guess after um, Gil was shot down, employee employees were afraid, union members were afraid, and they started to flee. And so in response to learning about Gil being shot, Bebidas y Alimentos told employees that they would buy plane tickets to anyone that wants to leave town by the next day. But not that they would approve any, like, you know, union contract or anything. And the next day, the employees that had not, you know, fled or resigned by then, they showed up to the plant and they were met by paramilitaries who forced the workers to sign resignation papers. Like, not even hiding that they're using paramilitaries anymore. Yeah. And then the paramilitaries also burned down the union hall. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, in total, 45 union members fled or resigned. And the union leaders continued to live in fear. Some had to leave their families behind. And 
they said they never drink Coca-Cola again. I bet. Yeah. One of them was granted asylum here. Only the- one? Yeah, the other one escaped to another part of Colombia. And I know I didn't write it down in my notes, but I remember that the Bebidas y Alimentos, they didn't offer the workers that had to resign in, for fear of their lives. They didn't offer them any kind of compensation because they said it wasn't their fault that paramilitaries. It was literally their fault. They yeah, were doing this. It was. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because how can paramilitaries show up to your plant, associate with your manager, and you're going to try to say you had zero involvement? Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> in another region of Colombia, in Magdaleno Medio, and I looked up a little bit about this region, and even before, like, Coca-Cola and all this stuff, it, it was just a region plagued by violence. Well, because, you know, of everything that was going on in Colombia already. So, in... um. Magdaleno Medio, um, I think this bottling plant, I want to say was Panamco. Union leaders and members began receiving threats and calls from paramilitaries saying that they knew where their children went to school. The managers would meet with paramilitary members inside of the plant. Inside? And yeah, and they told the union to be a quiet union and to not cause trouble, and they would not face violence if they, like, did that. So they threatened them Literally, straight up yeah, just straight- with paramilitary violence. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> and um, one of the union leader's daughters was almost kidnapped. Another's wife was attacked. Oh, my God. Another one, their son they was... They were um, families, like, skipping them and just yeah. going straight. Oh, my God. Another one's son was... Um, what is that called when they hit you with a gun? Like, it has a name. Pistol whipped. Oh, that, oh my God, I couldn't think of that. Yes, pistol whipped. One of their sons was pistol whipped. Um, another one of the union leader's cars was shot at in 2003. And although he reported the attack, he didn't hear back from authorities until 2007. And when he did hear back from them, they accused him of reporting false allegations. In another region of Colombia, Bucaramanga, oh, this bottling plant was Panamco. The other one I didn't write it down because I didn't I didn't remember what it was. But Bucamaranga Panamco, that was that was a bottling plant there. So there managers of Panamco filed reports against three union leaders accusing them of planting bombs in the plant. Oh my God, but obviously they didn't. No, they didn't. And the three men were eventually arrested for this false report. They were sent to like a middle security prison and they were imprisoned for 174 days before their case went to trial where they were declared innocent because pretty quickly the case of the prosecutors um, fell to shit because they had zero evidence. And their one one, uh, witness kept um, saying different things and things that just were not true. And yeah, just nothing held up. But even after being declared innocent, the men continued to receive death threats. After being released from prison, neighbors began distrusting them because at that time also like neighbors um, or community, well, neighbors would report each other to like the paramilitaries accusing each other of being like guerrillas and communists. And it was like just a hard situation all around. Um, So neighbors began distrusting them. Um, One of the wives left them, accusing the union leader of ruining her life. While the union members were in prison, the children were bullied at school because the little kids would tell tell them, um, would just make fun of them. That's fucked up. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. And no one at the company was ever held liable for uh, falsely accusing... Of yeah, course. falsely accusing the men of being terrorists and planting bombs at the plant. The men, basically, Panamco is one of the only companies and, and jobs around, and they continued to work. There was no other choice. Yeah. And there there was more stuff, like even years later, like when the one of the daughters were adult ages, she was almost kidnapped. And like, mind you, this first initial situation happened when she was like in elementary school. So they're still facing violence and threats. So after continuous violence and not seeing any justice, 
Sinat Reinal decided to seek help from the United Steel Workers of America and the International Labor Rights Fund. Together, they filed a lawsuit in Florida against Coca-Cola, Bebidas y Alimentos, and Panamco. So the suit charged that three companies, the three companies, were complicit in the assassination of Isidro Gin and um, two other workers, and basically against union violence against union members in general. Um, and that Panamco assisted paramilitaries in murdering several union members. And the union used a law, like a really old law from the 1800s, called the Alien Tort Claims Act. What does this mean? So it's like an old law that I'm going to explain right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> the act grants the United States court's jurisdiction in any dispute where it's alleged that a tort has been committed in violation of the law of nations or treaty oh. in the U.S. So the book, um, The Cook Machine, goes into a little bit of history about this law and when it was first used to kind of fight uh, uh, corporations, like, internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had been successfully used against a company named Unicol, oh. who in... So the country was Burma, but that country no longer... It was, like, oh yeah, it's yeah. not Burma anymore. I can't think of what it is now, but it's, like, Thailand area. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they... Um, it was used successfully there because Unicol was using the military in Burma. Oh, it's Myanmar. To Myanmar, okay. So the military or Unicol was using the military to push people out of um, towns and to force people to like excavate and whatnot. Um, and so they were directly benefiting from violence that the military, well, that they asked the military to enact on. So um, this law was used then kind of like fight for the people of previously uh, Burma. The book, The Coke Machine, kind of gets into a little bit about the history of this law. And it also talks about the history of the the union leader from, what is it called? The United Steelworkers of America. And it talks about him and his travels in like Latin America and how he's helped a lot of workers and labor oh my gosh well bless him. fights there yeah so um it talks about that and it talks about his efforts to kind of not only him it also talks about the attorney that he found and asked for help to kind of okay yeah uh, bring this all together so it talks about and i think his last name was like colinsworth so it talks about colinsworth and his kind of what led him there and his previous fights against companies mm-hmm. and whatnot they also talk about this law being used against, um, I want to say it was the United Fruit Company. Oh, snap. Okay. Because they kept conducting business in one of the Latin American countries where there was paramilitary. I want to say it was Panama. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was Panama. They were paying off paramilitary groups to let them continue like working there, basically. But because the paramilitary groups were you know, murdering and killing and just yeah. doing hella shit to everybody. Like, and United Fruit Company knew that, but they kept conducting business with them, you know? And in the suit, also um, alleged violations under the Torture Victims Protection Act. So the Sinatrainal lawyers argued that Coca-Cola, because I said Sinatrainal in Spanish, I said Coca-Cola in Spanish yeah. too. <laughs> so they argued that Coca-Cola's quarter share in Panamco and then two seats in the board of directors gave it direct control over the company. And so then they're responsible. To, yeah. And in Bebidas y Alimentos, Coke had so much control that they could, they were able to block Kirby from selling their product after his contract expired. I guess a year after Hill's murder, Kirby tried to operate again and Coca-Cola stopped him from being able to sell Coke. So they they try to say like, obviously they have some power and knowledge here of what the bottling companies are yeah. doing. The Sinatrainal lawyers further allege that Coca Cola could have stopped the violence or ended their contracts with the bottlers that violated their international standards, 
but they didn't because they were only concerned with profiting off of because you know profit over people the situation yeah so um coca-cola argued that they should not be part of the suit because they were not responsible for the actions of their bottling companies due to their franchise agreements the judge who was actually i don't remember i know his last name was like martinez or something so anyway the judge ordered Coke to present its um, franchise agreements with Bebidas y Alimentos and with Panamco by the next day. And so the next day, the uh, Coke brought franchise agreements, but they said they couldn't translate the actual franchise agreements with Panamco and with Bebidas y Alimentos in time. I feel like they should have they should have already had a translated copy, you would think. Yeah, but it's just like bullshit. So instead of bringing the actual franchise agreement, they brought in a sample of a franchise agreement, but not the actual franchise agreements with Bebidas y Alimentos and with Panamco. But after reading that sample franchise agreement, the judge dismissed Coca-Cola lawsuit, saying that the franchise agreement... It wasn't even the full thing. Oh, my God. It wasn't even the actual one. It was a sample. Yeah. The judge said that the franchise agreement showed that Coke had no control over the bottlers. And while these deliberations were going on, another union leader was killed in Barranquilla. So the murders didn't even stop while they were being No, they didn't. So the union leader, his name was Adolfo de Jesus Moneras, and Adolfo had been targeted by the paramilitaries after he led a successful strike against Panamco. They branded him as a guerrillero. After the strike, he went into hiding and he only came out like out of his hiding briefly to like visit his family. And that's, that's when, when they got killed. him. Wow. Yeah. So um, the judge allowed the case against Bebidas y Alimentos and Panamco to move forward. But in 2006, he dismissed the claims against them, too. Why? So, because basically he cited a lack of evidence to link the actions of the paramilitaries to the Colombian government and Coca-Cola. So they filed an appeal, but in 2009, the Court of Appeals ruled in favor of... um, Actually, no. So he dismissed the, the lawsuit in 2006 against Bebidas and Panamco. Basically saying the same thing, that there was, like, no evidence of this and that the violence was, like, not here. So when Coca-Cola was dismissed um, from the case, Sinatrail had filed an appeal. But in 2009, the Court of Appeals ruled in favor of Coca-Cola. And this is where they cited a lack of, lack of evidence to link the actions of the paramilitaries with Coca-Cola. Although Coke was dismissed by the court and found to have like no direct involvement in the violence, it can't be ignored that they financially benefited from the decimation of the unions, right? And where did these bottling companies get the pressure to cut costs no matter what? You know what I mean? From the top. Yeah. We can't ignore that Colombia is one of the world's most dangerous countries in which to be a union member. In 2000, 153 union leaders were assassinated. And since 1986, 3,800 unionists have been assassinated in Colombia. And all four, just, they want to be paid what they, you know, like, a fair amount. Like, that's fucked up. Oh, my God. Exactly. So in the book, in the part where they talked about um, the United fruit company conducting business with paramilitary groups they tried to argue that it wasn't their fault there was like a civil war happening and that there was violence in the country already and the author quoted somebody i don't remember who it was (laughs) um their name or anything but basically this person said if conducting business somewhere means you have to conduct business with terrorist groups and paramilitaries then that means you just don't conduct business there (laughs) right you would think yeah so it's like it's it's immoral to conduct business somewhere yeah where, when, where all this is going you on you are yeah indirectly impacting violence against people right there's been extreme violence to un- unionists um in Colombia and this 
war or paramilitary war on unionists. Oh my God, those words are so hard to say. Anyway, so basically what I was trying to say is that we we also need to note that the paramilitary war on unionists escalated at a time when U.S. aid to Colombia's armed forces had rapidly grown under something called the Plan Colombia. So this plan was supposedly a U.S. effort to reduce the flow of illegal drugs from Colombia. But since the aid began, deaths due to political violence had roughly doubled. Of course, all this aid always gets in the wrong hands. Like guns and money sent for military aid for countries that are in this kind of war, which is usually caused by the United States. Not always, usually. Um, Yeah, it, it... it always goes to the wrong Yeah. Hands. During this time, paramilitary groups had so much power that they were known as a sixth branch of the government. And knowing all this information, you know, the U.S. continued to give aid to Colombia. I mean, the lawsuits against Coca-Cola, Bebidas y Alimentos, and Panamco went nowhere. Justice was never given. (laughs) Violence against unionists continued. The conditions of the bottling plants are still not good. Yeah, so uh, a few months after the lawsuit was filed in 2003, Sinatrainal members launched the Killer Coke campaign. Um, so it called for a boycott of Coca-Cola, and they have a website which I visited. I actually, I've I've been on the website too. They called for a boycott of Coca-Cola, and it was you know somewhat successful. Numerous colleges and universities suspended their businesses with Coca-Cola as a result of this campaign, um, and the website is still active. The front page reads. A never-ending story of a, of exploitation, greed, lies, cover-ups, and complicity in kidnapping, torture, murder, and other gross human rights abuses. That's such a powerful like line. And um, they also have, well, okay. Before I say that, they they also have a section where they wrote. The primary power brokers standing between justice and injustice are Coca-Cola CEO James Kinsey and its largest shareholder, Warren Buffett, Mm, which I had heard that Warren Buffett owned a lot of share in Coca-Cola. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then they they have the income that the CEO makes. Mm hmm and like other powerful people at Coca-Cola and their incomes and all the money basically that they're making while people are being attacked, murdered. murdered. Yeah. yeah. Silence. Um their human rights are being violated, you know. Um yeah. they also have a section in their website where um they have fact-based reports documenting Coca-Cola's abuses and anyone can take a look at it. So there's been a lot of research um, and you know how when people file lawsuits and whatnot, attorneys will conduct like fact finding research or whatever to see what supports what what supports the lawsuit. Supports yeah. the suit. So they have a lot of those reports on their website. And I also found another website that kinda what is it called? So the uh, website I was saying is called corpresearch.org. And they are a nonprofit center that assists in the community, environmental and labor organizations in researching and analyzing companies and industries. So they have uh, Coca-Cola on there um, and they kind of have a what's called a corp, what they call, I mean, a corporate rap sheet. Mm, I've seen that. Yeah. So. Not only has Coca-Cola been like an anti-union, union-busting, um, human, human right violators in um, Latin America, but they have also have done awful things like environment-wise, which you kind of talked about already with the water 
shortages. Um, yes. And not only did that happen in Mexico, but also happened in India. So let's see, they have the labor section on here, which they talk about U.S. bottlers here and Coca-Cola franchise or companies here. By here, we mean the U.S. The United States, yes. But also um, Central America um, and Guatemala, which I talked about. And then it mm-hmm. talks about the lawsuit, the Sinatrainal lawsuit. It also talks about racial discrimination in um, Brooklyn. Really? Companies there, yeah. They talk about human rights violations. And they talk about the Stop Killer Coke campaign. The book that I read talks about the person that created the campaign, Ray Rogers, and he had like he was an established like person that helped um fight for labor rights and whatnot at that point. In 2012, uh human rights activists accused Coca-Cola of propping up the dictatorial regime of King Mus I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled M-S-W-A-T-I? Swati, maybe? I don't know. Where? In Swaziland. Where is that? I think it's in Africa. Okay. Wow. Um. Yeah. They also have had some issues with anti-competitive and consumer protection. Oh. Yeah. I, the book talks about this a little bit, too. And then there's some marketing controversies, which we talked about a little bit as well. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm ever drinking Coca-Cola again. You know, I don't drink it often. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't even like soda this much. (laughs) So, Um. (laughs) do you, have you seen this video by, uh, what's his name? Jonathan, I forgot his Instagram name. But I know, yeah. It's like, back. Pack, pack, yeah, yeah, something. No, so he has, yeah, isn't it just? I have no idea if it's like a, yeah, I think that's it, yeah. So he has this video where, um, he's like, when you have that one friend that makes drinking water their personality, and me and you, we are that friend. (laughs) That's us. (laughs) So, personally, for me, it'll be easy to never drink Coca Cola again. Also, like, uh, in the book. Um, and there was just like a lot of information that I just, you know, did not have time to talk about because it took me long enough and I didn't even finish the book. I'll be honest. <laughs> Let me tell everyone, Carmen was supposed to do last episode, but I finished my notes for the next, next episode before she finished and, these ones. So that's why I did battle the show. And that's going to happen again. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to be is, me, yeah. being like a ratio of three to one, like for you. <laughs> um, and I would have liked to. Even though we still probably wouldn't have had time to talk about it because there's just so much Coca-Cola has. There's so much. There's so much. Coca-Cola is Yes. And so uh, what the hell was I going to say before I started saying this? There was something I wanted to say about Coca-Cola that I hadn't said earlier. Well, you were saying how it's easy to, for us, it's going to be easy to say. Oh, okay. So um, in Chiapas, they tried to do a protest against Coca-Cola because of all the water shortages there from coca-cola and they were just not successful because people love coca-cola too much you it, y'all it's ingrained in mexico and again mexico and coca-cola is going to be a separate episode because there's so much there also when coca-cola acquired or created minute made the orange groves the conditions working conditions there were so horrible that cesar chavez tried to launch a boycott against coca-cola as well have you heard about that i did not know that no maybe we should add that to the topic list yeah too. we can because i'm not sure like it was like a brief mention in the book wow I yeah but there wasn't that. much else about it so i also don't drink juice well so christina we only drink water <laughs> so yeah i mean you know um fuck coca-cola i wish it didn't have such a stronghold yeah. uh everywhere but especially like in latina communities right like our every adult every older person in my family cannot have a meal without a soda when they eat out right and it used to be at home too yeah they've 
since stopped that. But when we visit family in Mexico, the the litro de coca is always on the table. The the liter, I don't know. The giant thing of coke is always on the table, like every meal. You you walk around Mexico and you'll see little toddlers with a little coke bottle, like. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so is that the end of the episode? Yeah, it is. I'm done. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. If you can, if it's easy for you, stop drinking Coca Cola. It's easy for us to say because again, we don't like we don't drink soda that much. Again, I'm that friend that <laughs> drinking water is their personality. So same. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.